you want to have in your leases that your tenants have to show you their books. And ideally, it's at least quarterly. So you know the financial soundness of those businesses. And what that does is if they're not making it, then you know that lease is unstable. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. This is your host, Dr. Michael McManus. And today we're going to talk about rent and how rent goes into value add plays and how this may be different between commercial properties such as retail industrial properties and residential or multifamily. Also today, we're going to say this show is sponsored by Fortress Capital. Fortress Capital is a private equity company that I started to help doctors invest in commercial real estate. We've been working to set up our platform for a little while now. And so our new website is live and we should have our investor portal up here by the time this show goes live. We've got some great new partners and some deals in the works. So all very exciting. If you want to discuss that some more, you can reach out to us at thefortresscapital.com or we should have links from the Surgeon Syndicate website also, which is surgeonsyndicate.com. So back to rent. So an interesting thing when we talk about rent, and I've heard doctors before that they were looking at investing in some apartment deals. And typically, if you're looking at syndications and investing passively, the ones that are going to provide the best returns are ones that have some sort of value add. So what is value add? Uh, value add is basically forced appreciation. And if you're going to force appreciation, it means you're going to force the value of the building up. And commercial properties are typically, for the most part, valued or maximum values based upon the income they bring in or the rent. In the end, that's the NOI or net operating income, which is the rent that it brings in or other fees or charges minus your expenses. So any value add play, the goal is to come in and drive the rent up at the end of the day. So there's different ways to do that. That could be based upon the standard house flipper is that they're buying an old house, they're renovating it, and they're going to sell it. That's forced depreciation where speculation would be they're going to buy a house and just say, well, look, the market's going up. I can sell it in a couple of years for 50% more than I bought it for. That's just speculating versus forcing the value up. So in a commercial property, if you do the same, whether this is an apartment building or a retail mall or a warehouse, if it's an older building and part of your value add is to fix it up, make it nicer. Why do you do that? You can get higher rents for a nicer building or a building that better meets the needs of your tenants. Some of those value add plays in a retail building may be better signage so their customers can find them. In a warehouse, maybe better truck access so it's easier to use from an industrial standpoint. Just like if it were multifamily, might be a better pool or new carpet. So it's worth more to the tenants. So that's the remodel side or capital expenditure. You'll hear that referred to as CapEx. 
But other times you'll see deals advertised as they have below market rents. And so, so what's a below market rent? We all know what that is. And at different times when you're renting, you may have been getting a great deal. I had friends in college, I remember, who had been renting the same place that some of them moved in when they were freshmen or sophomore with some older guys who then moved out. And there had just really never been a turnover where it had to be re-rented completely. There just kind of been an, a transition of people moving through. Well, the building was owned by somebody who had owned it for a long time. They weren't really involved. They lived out of town and they never raised the rent. And their rent versus mine was like 40% less. They were getting a screaming deal and they knew they were getting a screaming deal. So most of the time when you hear a syndicator, an operator talk about below value rents, that's what they're talking about. That it could be an entire building that the rents, then they may say they're 50% below market. Or they may talk about rent per door with multifamily. With industrial and retail, usually talk about per square foot rent. Or, you know, say market for a warehouse is $750 a square foot. This lease is currently at $5 a square foot. And so part of the value add play is that after they buy it, they want to bring rents up to market rents. Now, the interesting thing is I heard some doctors talking once and they were getting excited about investing in some multifamily syndications and they're looking for ones that are going to give the best return on their money. And then they got kind of sad because they were like, oh, the whole plan with this is to jack up rents. And anybody who's been a renter has felt that. You're like, oh man, I can hardly afford rent. You're going to jack up rents. We're really, if you look at it realistically, there are expenses that go with being a landlord. And I experienced this during COVID with a multifamily property that cash flowed nicely prior to COVID. By the end of COVID, all my maintenance costs had gone up 30%. The taxes went up 20%. Utilities went up almost 30%. And it was a money loser. Um, we were in the red. We went from a nice, probably 12% cash on cash to being in the red because all the expenses shot up. So what happened in town? Rents went up and rents typically went up by 20, 30, 40%. And when you get these big changes, and this is some of the things that happen when you get situations where you have heavy government stimulus, because Heavy government stimulus causes asset appreciation. People need to, all this new money gets pushed into the system, whether it's created through straight money printing, quantitative easing, low interest rates, all of this creates more money. And we won't go into the M1, M2 money supply stuff, but it's more money in the system. And so prices of things will go up as there's more money in the system. And people feel better when they own assets and the price goes up. They feel worse when they need to buy assets and the price go up and they feel bad when they're a tenant and their rent goes up. But often at the same time, as we saw at the end of COVID, that wages go up because there's a competitive market there. And it's great if there's a wage inflation and your wages go up more than your expenses. And these things don't typically track linearly. What we saw then a couple of years ago is wages shot up first and that was awesome. People loved that. But then we saw inflation of other things. So rents went up, grocery prices went up. And in the end, where did things end up? Depends who you are and how your expenses 
audiences got infected and how much more you could demand for your services. And we saw in hospitals that nurses' wages shot through the roof. We saw it in our clinic, which is a double-edged sword. It's nice when you see these employees who have been so committed to you for years and years, and you're giving them raises because as you hire new people, you have to pay significantly more to get them. So, you, And you have to kind of bring your old people up too, because you don't have to, but they may leave. And at the same time, you want to take good care of them. They've been committed to you and your business. And so it's a wonderful thing sometimes when you give somebody a raise and you see that joy. At the same time, when you do your quarterly business review, that sometimes it hurts a little bit. You're like, wow, our expenses went up 20% in the practice, but our insurers did not give us a 20% rise in compensation. So a lot of Medical practices felt that. Hospitals felt it. I mean, there's a lot of hospitals now that actually are on shaky financial ground because their expenses shot up so much and they're relying on Medicare. And Medicare has not given them a 20% increase in reimbursement to match their 20% raise in employee costs and nursing costs, especially. So all of these things are part of as inflation goes up. But Sorry, there we go off on the wild ride. Back to our original story is, so these doctors were excited at first because they saw this multifamily property and they said, well, this is cool. And the syndicator is offering us an 8% pref or the, the first 8% of profit goes to the investors. And then they were talking about having the property. I think it was a, a five-year hold. And then at the time when they sold it, they expected an appreciation of the asset so that overall it was like a 70% IRR. And so they were pretty excited about 17% annual return for five years. But when they looked into the business plan, big part of the business plan was they were buying this building because it was below rate rents and they were going to raise the rent. And then these docs had a ethical dilemma that they felt. And I heard them say, they were like, well, the whole plan is to jack up rents. And so I think when, if you're listening to something like this for the first time, if the idea of rent and rent going up causes a moral dilemma and causes you pain, you know, maybe this is not the best place for putting your money. But at the same time, if you go and you buy Coca-Cola stock, the only way that your stock becomes worth more or your dividends go up is they either get more efficient in their operations, their expenses go down, or they make more money. And at this point, everybody in the world has had a chance to drink Coke. So there's probably not introducing it to any new peoples. So can they push their prices up? So it's part of any business if you're looking to make money off a of business is your price is you're trying to maximize what you can get for your product. But again, that's probably maybe somebody who's not going to become a real estate investor if they feel like when rents go up, that they're jacking up rents. I mean, the way I look at that is those rents are going to go up. It's it just it has to because there's really only two things that can happen with a building. You know, if if rents don't go up, eventually the building comes down, and it begins with deferred maintenance. The building doesn't get taken care of. The building gets worse. Rents then tend to go down because it becomes kind of a crappy place to live, and eventually the building falls down. Or with inflation, rents go up. Rents are at a reasonable market rate, which means the landlord can afford to pay for maintenance. So they keep it a nice building and it's a nice place to live. And, and sometimes that different people invest in different asset classes. 
often because they want to feel like they give a quality product. I know people who only invest in class A apartments, so nice apartments. Well, why? Because they're like, I don't want to own a building I don't want to live in. And so they feel good about the product they're putting out. And so they don't want to own workforce housing or lower income housing. And other people, they specialize in workforce housing and that they appreciate that they know that customer and they know they're giving them a good product and a quality place to live for the price. And so they're more in that asset class. For me, I decided that whole managing uh, tenants was not part of what I wanted to do. And I liked the commercial side better. For many things, we've talked about this before, but I prefer being a business person, dealing with business people and business people problems versus residential problems. And so what it really does is those, once you have a lease and you have a tenant in it, there's not as many changes and things that go on. And if it's a triple net, then they're taking care of their own mate. And so a lot of it comes on the front end of the lease negotiation. And businesses like people, sometimes when the rent goes up, a business can't afford to be in that building anymore. And they have to make a choice and they have to leave or not. Um, same thing with a tenant, that if the rent goes up, they might have to live somewhere else. And it's just kind of the way things are for the good and the bad of it. But I've also seen a recently was a retail deal where their rents hadn't gone up for like 15 years. There also hadn't been any building maintenance for 15 years. And when one of my friends bought this building, they're like, they talked to the tenants ahead of time and they said, hey, here's our plan. We're going to buy this building. We're going to bring rents up to uh, market and we're going to bring the building up to the class of the surrounding neighborhood because it had fallen behind and the tenants were overjoyed. Why? They say, hey, our business has been here for 15 years. This is where our customers know we are. We like the location but this building is falling down. And they had actually been saying, hey, do we have to move so that we can move into a building that gives the image of the business? And so they were psyched that there was gonna be a new landlord who was actually gonna fix the parking lot, fix the sign, fix the lighting, make it look like a quality building with quality businesses in it, which is the image they wanted to give to their customers. So they were actually excited to pay higher rent because they were looking at anyway for what they needed for their business. They were gonna have to move into a better building, a different building and pay higher rent, but they were happy then they didn't have to move. That was gonna have a new landlord that was gonna take care of that. So another interesting way to look at the higher rent. And so the next part I wanna look at this is because I recently had a conversation with an associate who was uh, very experienced, very savvy in the multifamily space. And he was looking at investing in an industrial deal. So this was a big combination warehouse industrial facility. There were about 10 tenants. Part of it was manufacturing. Part of it was warehouse storage. And so on this offering memorandum, or the pitch deck that came from this syndicator. And so the interesting thing, so we were going through the pitch deck together because he asked me to look at it and say, hey, I've never invested in a warehouse. I want to diversify what I'm doing. And so we're going through it and we look and say, and for me, who, not how, who's running this deal? So the first page, they were all very experienced multifamily syndicators. So from the standpoint of understanding the finance and the process, the syndication's really no different. 
like, okay, do they understand the asset class? And But then they had a principal or somebody that was in it with them who was an experienced industrial person who, through their businesses, had owned these types of properties and were very familiar with these types of properties. So I was like, okay, well, at least we know they got one person who kind of understands this whole thing. So we're looking at their business plan. Well, the place was mostly rented. So when you're talking value add, and um, either whether we're talking multifamily or industrial or retail, one of the value add strategies is you buy a place that's not completely full. Ideally, it's not completely empty, but if it's 70% full and you're buying at a price based upon the income it produces, if you go from 70% full to 100% full, you raise your income by almost 50%, which drives the value of the building up in a similar fashion. So you may just by renting out a partially empty building improve the value of the building by 50%. And some people do that. And then they turn around and they sell it right away. And that's really what they do well is they do lease-ups well. So that's one of the value-add strategies. But for this building, it was mostly full. There was maybe one small space that was vacant. So good thing they're showing all their tenants. Most of their tenants had been there for over a decade. Some of them were manufacturing. Manufacturing tenants tend to be very sticky tenants because they've got equipment, they've got a lot of stuff. And it's very expensive for them to move. So they don't tend to like to move willy-nilly. So it was a good tenant mix. They looked like solid companies because they'd been going for 10 years. But this is where it kind of separated. And it looked a lot more like a multifamily pitch deck than an industrial pitch deck, which then made me start wondering, do they really know what they're doing? And it doesn't mean they were out, but we came up with a list of questions for him to go back to the syndicator and ask. And some of those questions were, is wanting to see a full rent roll. And rent rolls are also a thing in multifamily. But if you're looking at a 500 unit apartment building, are you going to go through and dig into Mrs. Jones and Mr. Smith and how long have they been there and how much money do they make? It's not usually part of the information that you get. But when you're looking at an industrial or retail deal, because you're not doing 500 doors, you're doing on this one 10 doors. It's 180,000 square feet, but it's 10 doors. And so what you want in that is you want to see not just the name of these companies, not just what they do, but typically you're looking to also know how financially stable are they. And sometimes you'll have a seller who has that information and they want to show it to you. And typically that means that they're very good and stable tenants. And sometimes they don't want to show it to you. And it all depends on whether that's part of their business model. A good business model in this case is you want to have in your leases that your tenants have to show you their books. And ideally, it's at least quarterly. So you know the financial soundness of those businesses. And what that does is if they're not making it, then you know that lease is unstable. And so it gives you a couple options. Sometimes they'll be written into the lease, and especially with some of the great corporate tenants or the grade A, sorry, I'm missing the word right now. But anyway, that they may have written into their lease that if their gross sales go under a certain number, they can cancel the lease. And what they're doing is then they're saying it gives the ability to get out of leases for underperforming stores. Sometimes they don't have that. But again, often in a commercial lease, you get to look into the business of your tenants. Now, in some cases, 
when I've seen where you have a very financially savvy former or current business owner who is an incredible business person, they own smaller properties with mom and pop shops. And what we're talking there is we're not leasing out here to a big chain like Beals or Famous Footwear. It's uh, Dawn's Shoes. And when they see that Dawn isn't doing so well, some of these landlords are very good business people. Part of what they do and part of how they make their money in real estate is they know how to help their tenants and go, hey, let's sit down and look at this and see if we can find a solution to make your business thrive again. And sometimes that's where somebody will pay more for a lease if they know they're not just getting a building, they're getting a landlord who's going to help them succeed. Is it always that way? No, but it's one of the things that are out there. I actually knew one guy once, and I think I've told this story before, but was in a small town in Wyoming. And basically what he did is he bought commercial buildings and because there weren't a lot of business people in town, but he saw a need for businesses and he was a business person and he would start a business and he would hire employees and he would find ones that could run the shop. And then he would set up all the systems and they knew how to run the store and he would sell them the store and usually sell them to it at a pretty reasonable price and then provide them all his network of accountants, of lawyers, and business coaching or business support so that the business would keep succeeding. And that's how he leased out his businesses, his buildings, as he started businesses and made them successful and then kind of handed them off because he didn't want to run 30 businesses. So these are all value-add stories. But back to our story with this industrial building, so we've got the 10 tenants and we didn't have a full rent roll. We just had names of what they did. So we had no information on how much rent they paid each tenant. And we didn't have any financial information on the financial stability of the tenant. And typically to get this type of information, you have to sign some sort of non-disclosure to look at this information because it's not just plastered on the internet. And then the third part is we knew nothing about their leases. And so the business plan for this place, because that they weren't going to add value by leasing it out, at least they didn't say they were because it was mostly full, but they said that they could increase rents by about 50%. So it was from $5 a square foot to seven something a square foot. And those square footage rates, when you hear them quoted that way, are typically dollars per square foot per year. And so then the lease will say, this is how much is the lease for the year. And then it's payable in 12 installments as a monthly lease, rather than things being advertised as like an apartment building, it's $1,000 rent. They don't tell you how much it is per square foot. But so the listing says, okay, so some these everybody's paying right now a little over $5 a square foot. Market rate is seven and a half. We're going to bring it up to market. And that's how we're going to add value. And our turn on this for our whole time is about four years. Well, you see this plan a lot in multifamily, and it makes sense because if you own a building for a year, then pretty much you can take every one of your tenants and move them up to market rate because you don't find leases over a year. Now, maybe they're out there somewhere, but typically a year is a full lease. So a year later, everybody's lease has turned over. And not all landlords raise rent on every lease, but if that's your plan moving in, a year later, you're going to have all your leases moved up, ideally. 
And so if you say, we're going to own a building for three years, we're not going to do a bunch of work. It's just, it's a good building. Rents are too low because the old landlord mismanaged it. You can do that. You just come in and as leases come up, you sign new leases. If people don't want to pay that, they move out and you lease to somebody who wants to pay that. And so the business plan works. But what wasn't discussed in this one, in this particular deal, is there was no information about the leases. Corporate leases, especially, again, if you're talking a manufacturing plant, if I've got a half a million dollars worth of manufacturing equipment in a building, I don't want to move it every year. So they're not signing one-year leases. Short industrial leases are five to seven years. Long industrial leases can be 20 to 30 years. So the question that came up is, well, they're saying they're going to bring rents up to market. Well, when do the leases expire? And if those leases don't expire or the lease expires, but it has a renewal option where the tenant can renew and it's their option, you may not be able to, in four years, change any of the rents. And at the same time, if you say you're going to, now the difference on this building versus if you own a building this size and this price, and it's a residential building, again, you got 500 doors. Well, this is 10 doors. So if you lose two tenants, you may have just lost 20%, and that's driving your value down. So even if these tenants are on shorter-term leases and you're going to have a bunch of turnover, that adds a lot of risk to the deal. So again, questions to be asking on this deal were, how financially stable are your tenants? What does their business model look like? How long are their leases? Do they have renewals on their leases? Do they have built-in price increases on their leases? And if they are shorter-term leases... Has there been any discussion with the tenant? I've also seen where it looked like this business had been around for a long time and nobody thought that there would be any issue with re-signing their lease and their lease was about up. But turned out the guy had always was going to turn his business over to his kids. Kids didn't want it. Uh, he'd been slowing down and really he decided, well, that he was just kind of working some, but with the proposed rent increase, his business would no longer be profitable and he was just going to shut down and retire. And that was his plan. And nobody considered it because nobody talked to him. And this is something else you could do with commercial leases is you can ask the buyer and some buyers, I mean, you can ask the seller, some sellers will say no, but you say, hey, I want to talk to the tenants. And I want to find out what their plans are. And if the leases that are expiring, I want to talk to them about re-upping their lease. And so it's a great plan and a very low-risk plan. If you've already got signed agreements, typically can't sign a lease until you own the building, but you've got an LOI or letter of intent from your tenants who have expiring leases saying, yes, we agree to pay this new lease rate and to sign a 10-year lease. And that is, you're going to close and you're going to sign those and immediately off you go. That's a pretty low risk deal because there's not a question of whether you can bring in new tenants. Where with a multifamily, you don't know until the place is empty. You can't go two years out and pre-lease the place. So I guess the point there and the point of this whole story is this is kind of a difference when you're looking at investing in properties that your leases are longer term and are with businesses versus residential. The good news of it is that you don't have as many rules, legal rules, because you're both business people. 
and you can do all kinds of creative things to make it work. But if you don't have experience investing in these types of properties and you're using the same rule book as for multifamily, it may not work. And if the people running this deal didn't know these things and just thought that I can't imagine they didn't, but at least there were questions that as I was going through this with my colleague was like, you need to ask these questions. And so they came out of it with a list of questions. And I don't know how that's going to turn out, but it was a story I wanted to share because a big thing, if you're looking at investing in a commercial value add is who are the businesses? What's their stability? Does the landlord get a look inside their books and know their stability? What are their leases look like in detail, not just the length, but what's included? Are there built-in raises? Are there extensions? Are there escape clauses? Because all of this, the great thing is you can get this information before anybody signs on the dotted line and buys the building. And you can use it to de-risk a deal and have it all set up ahead of time. And this is probably the biggest difference with retail and industrial real estate is most of the work is done on the front side. And once you sign all that, the tenants do most of the work afterwards to run their business and run the property, where with multifamily, things are a lot more consistent and usually the same on the front end. But then afterwards, you've got a property management business and you got 500 doors to manage. So there's kind of a difference there. I like one more than the other. It doesn't necessarily mean it's better than the other, but it's better for some people, but they are different. So that's what I have for you today on rent and leases and some of the differences between the two. If you have any questions and you'd like to talk about this further, please reach out. Realize as we rebuild our website, I've been asking people to reach out and our contact on the Surgeon Syndicate podcast was not connected. That should be fixed. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. would love to have a conversation with you about any of your hopes, dreams, investing goals, and fears. And as always, thank you for joining us here on Surgeon Syndicate today. We look forward to seeing you again. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you found value in this episode, you know other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. You can help them by sharing this content today. I also want to serve you better, so I want to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you can take a moment and leave an honest review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help. Schedule a call. We can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.